Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. This is a message from Christina Holdridge at one of our women's gatherings. Hope you enjoy. That was a great time of worship. Thanks, you guys. I don't think I've sang that song here at church before. I love that song. Thank you. The last song we were singing. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you all. Like Whitney said, it's our first women's gathering of 2023. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Christina Holdridge. Um, I lead a team of women here who put on the women's events. So that's these gatherings and the the conference in the fall. And I also get to help run the kids ministry, which is such a blast. And um, I love kids. I love women, but I super love kids. <laughs> no, I super love you too. Um, <laughs> you're just maybe not as funny, like quirky. Um, so I get to do that. I just started that this August and that's a ton of fun. And um, yes, also I am married to Nate, who's the lead pastor here. If you didn't know that we've been married for about 21 years now, and we have three daughters. One is away in college, and two are still in high school and living at home with us. This weekend, we're empty nesters, which is kind of weird. Um, our two our two younger daughters are away at winter camp, and um, I would say so far, the house is cleaner, but also it's quieter, and I'm not really a fan of quiet, so it's kind of a mixed bag. I think the good news is that Nate and I like each other, so we don't mind being alone a lot, so that's good. <laughs> um, but if I've never met you before, even if you've been here a long time at Calvary, or if this is your first time, um, after our, our event here, I'll be hanging out in the lobby, and I'd love to just shake your hand and meet you, maybe hear a little bit about your story, um, so I'll be there. Um, Two little details that I wanted to share with you before we get into the teaching. Um, If you haven't noticed, we had some slides running in the beginning of our time here, and then we'll have them running at the end. And on one of them is a slide with the three women's life groups, women-only life groups that we have this semester here at the church or quarter. Um, And so if you're not in a life group or you're looking for a way to connect with women only on a smaller scale. Those are a great way to do it. So feel free to sign up for that. And there's also uh, Janine who runs our life groups is going to be at a table in the back if you had any questions about that. And the second one is each women's gathering, um, we're going to spend some time, well, all of our women's gatherings, we're going to dive deep into a woman in scripture. So I'm really excited about that. But also we're going to have a slide that shows you, would you mind switching to the Elizabeth Elliott one? We're going to have a slide that shows you an awesome biography that you can pick up and read on your own um, of a a more current, actually it might not be more current, but more current than scripture, (laughs) Um, Christian woman. And like Elizabeth Elliott, if you don't know, she's written a ton of books. I would recommend that you read anything that she's ever written. She even has, she's... um, in heaven now, but she even has, they've t- made a podcast of her teachings. That's incredible. But this, these three books are sort of like the story of her life. So she didn't herself write one biography, though she wrote um, these books. And um, all together, it tells a, an amazing part of her life. And she's incredible. And it's so inspiring. I can't tell you how um, faith building it has been for me in my life to continually be reading stories of Christian women. So Christian biographies. I've read women who are still alive and thriving and, and um, 
Serving the Lord Today biographies, and I've read women who have long since gone to heaven, and all of them in one way or another have really formed me and shaped me and encouraged me. So Elizabeth Elliot, she's, I can't wait to meet her in heaven. She's amazing. Um, so enough about that. Okay. Um, on to our teaching. I'm going to pop a little cough drop in my mouth here. Okay. Um, have you guys ever noticed that there's a difference between knowing and, like, knowing, right? Um, I've heard the difference called, sometimes it's called head knowledge and heart knowledge, right? Or someone described it to me recently as believing, no, sorry, beholding, but then believing, beholding like you notice something, you see it, but be believing something, maybe that's a difference. Um, I mean, even if you just are thinking about people that you know, like I know Whitney, who was up here emceeing this morning. Like I know her. I would say, oh yeah, I know Whitney. We've had dinners together. We're in a group together. But I don't know Whitney like I know my husband, Nate, right? There's a difference there. I mean, in our story today in scripture, um, it says Elkanah knew his wife. She became pregnant. That's a kind of knowing, <laughs> right? That's a very vulnerable and intimate and personal kind of knowing. But any way you look at it, there's, there's knowing and then there's like knowing. And um, when you know, know something, you're going to hear me use that word a lot today. Um, it's like the information has moved from your head to your heart. You transition from noticing something to actually believing it. You know someone on intimate and vulnerable levels. And all of that kind of knowing, it really, it really changes the way that you live your life. So here's where I'm going with this. In our gatherings this year, we're going to look at a different woman in scripture each time. And in one way or another, these women did some pretty remarkable things in their lives, with their lives for God. And you look at their stories and you kind of can't help but be impressed by how all in on God and his kingdom they are. They're, they're pretty inspirational, sometimes even a little intimidating. But what I want to propose to you this morning is that these women that we'll be studying, they were just ordinary women. Honestly, they were just ordinary women who knew, knew God. They knew him. For some of them, they were convinced they were believing in their souls just about a lot of things about God. For some of the women we'll look at this year, it's like they might have known one thing about God. But that one thing that they knew, that one thing that went from their head to their heart, it changed the trajectory of their whole life. And so that's what we're going to get to study in these gatherings. What did these women know about God that caused them to live such remarkable, faith-filled lives? So if you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel, this morning we're going to study Hannah. And I'm really looking forward to it. So bear with me. We're going to read a pretty big chunk of scripture, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read it. And you'll excuse, please, the cough drop rolling around my mouth. Um, okay, I'm going to read it, and you can follow along. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 
Now, there was a certain man of Ramathium. Sorry, the light is weird in here. Ah, there we go. Zorphim of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it was year by year that when she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her. And therefore, she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart so grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? It's okay, you can laugh. (laughs) So Hannah arose after they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservants and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but you'll give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke only in her heart. Her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, and therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and my grief I have spoken until now. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked of him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord yearly sacrifices and vows, but Hannah didn't go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him only. Let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, took him up with her with three bowls and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And he, she brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, and she said, and brought the child to Eli, the priest. And she said, oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, 
my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying for, to the Lord. For this child I have prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. And therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives, he will be lent to the Lord. And so they worship the Lord there. So, if Hannah, if I had to summarize Hannah's life in just a few sentences, I would say Hannah was a woman who was miserable because she couldn't have children. And so she asked God for a son, and he gave her one. And then Hannah gave up her only son to live in the temple far away from her and serve God with his entire life. Hannah gave back to God the thing she so desperately wanted. And what made Hannah do that? What made this woman who was in bitterness of soul, who wept in anguish because she had no children, what made her give that child of her own volition the very thing she was so miserable without? I want to propose to you this morning that the reason Hannah could give her son Samuel back to God is because she knew that he was worthy. In fact, in Hannah's story, I see that she saw God as worthy of three things. Hannah knew, she knew, knew that God was worthy of her soul, that God was worthy of her treasure, and that God was worthy of her worship. So that's how we're going to spend our time this morning, just looking at those three things. But before we do, there's something super important we have to understand. You see, my read of Hannah's life is that the impressive things that she did, giving her soul <coughs> and her treasure and her worship all to God, my read of it is that Hannah did these things boldly and confidently. I just don't, I don't see apprehension or fear or obligation in her giving to God. In chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, we get a peek into what Hannah knew about God that made him so worthy that she would confidently and boldly give God these things. If you look at it, we didn't have time to read it through this morning, but I encourage you to read it on your own. If you look at it in verse 1, Here's what Hannah says. Hannah says that God is her joy and her salvation. In verse 2, she declares his holiness, that he says he's incomparable and says he's a rock. In verse 3, Hannah says, God knows everything, and he is the judge of everything. Hannah says, God gives us strength, and she knew that he was powerful. In verse 5, she declares him to be the ultimate provider. In verse 6, Hannah says God is the author and controller of all life. In verse 7 and 8, she basically says he's able to work miracles and turn things upside down to have his way. In verse 9 and 10, Hannah says that God protects his people and that he's sovereign over everything. He's her joy and salvation. He's holy, incomparable, all-powerful, all-knowing. This knowing is what made Hannah know, know that God was worthy of her soul and her treasure and her worship. 
That's what made Hannah, <coughs> excuse me, give to God so confidently without fear or obligation. That was her God and he was worthy. Okay, so with all of that in mind, let's spend some time looking at what Hannah gave to God. Could you guys give me my tea? <coughs> Every time I teach, if you ever heard me teach, I just start to get a tickle. It's the worst. I tried to save you by drinking a, having a cough drop first thing. Okay. Her soul. Hannah gave her soul. Hannah knew God was worthy of her soul. In, verse, in the first 18 verses of chapter 1 in 1 Samuel, here's some words that describe Hannah. Even though she was married to a good man, right? I mean, basically good. He did have two wives, but cultural, not biblical. Cultural, not biblical. Okay. <coughs> okay, so here's how she's described. She's described as being miserable, weeping and not eating, in bitterness of soul, weeping in anguish, a woman of sorrowful spirit, and a woman who has an abundance of complaint and grief. And all of this sad and desperate state is because Hannah is unable to have children, right? While her husband's other wife, Peninnah, had many, she had none. And I want you to know that this sadness, this infertility, affected her on multiple levels. Culturally, at that time in Jewish culture, bearing children is what gave women value and esteem, and not to mention a future security. So culturally, this is a very painful thing to not have kids. Socially, Secondly, we're seeing really clearly, right? Peninnah was terrible to Hannah, all because she had no children. Peninnah is called her rival. It says she provoked her severely. She was miserable socially because of this. And then, of course, personally. Scripture doesn't describe this in any kind of detail, but I can only imagine that it was very painful for Hannah personally to be unable to have children. And in all that grief and in all that anguish, in her misery and her pain, verse 15 says, Hannah poured out her soul before the Lord. And it might seem like nothing to you, but to me, that speaks volumes of God's worth to Hannah. She knew God's power and strength. She knew his holiness. She knew that he knew everything and judges everything. And for most of us, that kind of information is a little bit intimidating about God. I mean, surely Hannah knew her own weaknesses. She had to know at the least she was not as holy or perfect as the God she was worshiping. And yet, rather than that understanding turning her away from God, giving her a formal kind of interaction with God, it turned her to him. It turned her to him in such a vulnerable and intimate way. She poured out her soul before the Lord. She entrusted that holy and righteous judge of all things with her grief and her anguish, her pain, it says her bitterness. She gave God her bitterness. She trusted him with her discontentment, with her misery, all of it. She saw God as worth trusting with her soul. She didn't keep a distance from God. She didn't stay formal or respectful or on some kind of obligatory, worshipful term. Nope. 
She came close. She revealed her rawest self and she vulnerably committed <clears throat> her soul to him. I just love that. How does she do that? I mean, to be honest, I don't really know how she confidently did that. Surely, Hannah had been taught her whole life God's laws and the testimony of his miracles, but you guys, she didn't have the cross like we do. She knew of a coming Messiah. She didn't have the full account of what Jesus accomplished. She didn't know in visible ways that God loved us so much that he would die for us. She didn't have verses like Hebrews 4.16 that told her she could come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. She didn't have verses like that. And yet somehow Hannah knew what was still true then, that God was worth trusting with her soul. And I don't know about for you, but man, I want this kind of knowing God so much more in my life. When I'm honest with myself, there's just these parts of my, my soul, my emotions that I keep from him. There are things that I'm hurt by, but I dismiss as being unimportant to God. There are things I want in life that I'm too embarrassed to ask such a holy God for. There are disappointments and frustrations in life that I'd rather just live with or try to get over instead of being real and honest with God about them. Too often for me, I can keep a formal, distant relationship going with God and I know Hebrews 4.16. I can look at the cross over and over again and see God's love proved to me. You see, I know that God's worth trusting my soul to, but I don't always know it. And I imagine that maybe some of you are in that same place today. You know, but you don't know. Hannah knew it. She gave God her whole soul, and I want to too. The second thing I want you to notice about Hannah is that she gave God her treasure. I mean, this is the crux of the whole story, right? Hannah saw God as worthy of having the thing she cared about the most, Samuel. In chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, verse 11, there Hannah is. She's in the midst of pouring out her whole soul to the Lord. And in prayer, she makes a vow and says, God, if you give me a son, I promise I'll give him back to you for his, his whole life. He'll live in a very set-apart way. And God answered her prayer, right? And after she weaned the boy, which was usually at that time about three years she brought Samuel to the temple. She gave him to Eli the priest to serve God for the rest of his life. <clears throat> she gave up her treasure to God. Here are just some of the things, just some of the things Hannah was giving up when she passed Samuel on to Eli the priest. Firstly, she was giving up her own happiness. I mean, the joy the pleasure, the emotional satisfaction that would come from raising Samuel herself, she was giving that up. She wouldn't get to know him 
personally. She wouldn't know his sense of humor, his little quirks. She wouldn't get to be a part of most of the big moments growing up. She wouldn't get to develop a real relationship with him. More than likely, she would see him once a year. That's it. No FaceTime, no texting, no phone calls. One formal visit a year. So by giving Samuel up to serve in the temple, Hannah was inviting grief, inviting loss, inviting sadness into her life. And she was giving up so much joy that could come to her from raising a child. Secondly, Hannah was giving up security for her future, at least as best as she could see it. In Jewish culture at this time, children were the ones who provided for their parents and took care of them in their older age until they died, almost always. There were no retirement accounts and no retirement homes. So from Hannah's vantage point, without having any other children besides Samuel and without knowing if any more would ever come, Giving Samuel up was giving up her future security. She wouldn't be sure how she was going to eat or live or be taken care of in her older years. It was all on the line by giving up Samuel, her future security. Now, God did give Hannah more children later, but she didn't know that was going to happen. At this point, Samuel was her only child. And think about it, with her long history of infertility, she would have no confidence that she was ever going to have any more. She was giving up her future security. And why? Why would Anna do this? Was it some way of getting Penina off her back? Like, I just need to have a kid and then Penina will stop bugging me. I don't think so. That is too painful. Did God maybe reveal to Hannah how important Samuel was going to be for the entire generation and future of Israel? Maybe. But we can't know. What we can know for certainty, with certainty is that somehow Hannah knew. She knew, knew that God was worthy of this sacrifice. She knew that she could trust him with her treasure. And without hesitation... Without hesitation, she lays down before God her own personal happiness and a secure future, not out of obligation, but because she knew that God was worth it. And what about us? Are we willing to give back to God what he's given us? I mean, there's lots of things that come to mind when I think of my own treasure. I think of my time, my money, my children, my marriage, my home, my stuff. In Romans 12, Paul teaches that there's something that we can give back to God that encompasses all of that and probably a lot more. Romans 12:1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, you guys know it? Yourself. Yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable self service. My whole self, meaning I lay down my autonomy. I lay down being able to decide for myself what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. I lay down my hopes and my dreams and my desires and all that other stuff that I just mentioned. And I give them to God. I give my mind and my body and my soul and my heart and my future I give them to God. 
I let his word tell me what to do and not me myself, that is a sacrifice of treasure. But you guys, (laughs) I'm not trying to guilt you into doing that. I'm not trying to guilt you into giving yourself or any of your stuff to God right now. What I want you to know more than you've ever known, what I want to know more than I've ever known, is that God is worthy of it. He is so amazing. He's so good. He's so incomparable to anything that any of that treasure could ever bring to us that it's worth it to give it to him. And that's what Hannah knew. She believed that her happiness and her future, her joy, her only son, that it was all better in God's care than in hers. She knew she could trust God with it all. She knew, she knew that he was worthy. Man, I want to get that so much more. And the last thing I want to talk to you about really quickly this morning is that Hannah knew God was worthy of her worship. I'm not sure if you noticed in the verses that we read, <coughs> but there's a few times in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel that Hannah worshiping God is mentioned. But what I think is especially remarkable is in chapter 1, verse 28. There, it says essentially that Hannah gives Samuel to Eli the priest, and then immediately she worships God. This beautiful prayer comes out, this declaration of praise to God for who he is. It spontaneously, it's like she's overwhelmed in that moment, and it spontaneously comes out of her mouth. Right after she released her greatest treasure, the thing she wanted most of all, into God's hands, she worshiped. Again, this was not required of her. This was not an obligatory act on her part. Hannah's heart is overflowing with worship for the one that she gave her son to. And how? How is this possible? If this were me, if I were even able to do what she did in giving up my child, oh my gosh, I would be a sloppy, slobbering, emotional mess. So is Hannah just cold-hearted? Is she just unemotional? Is she just detached from Samuel knowing she's promised God she'd have to give him up? I don't think so. She's been nursing and mothering him for three of his most vulnerable and tender years. I just don't think there's any way she wasn't moved in this moment. Maybe when she got on her camel and she rode home, she did grieve. And of course, that would be so understandable. But something, somehow, after releasing control and care of her boy into God's hands, she was overwhelmed with worship for him. And I believe it's because she knew that God was worthy of it. What I hear in chapter 2 in Hannah's prayer is a woman saying this, God, you are better than anything. God, you, you are my real joy. God, there is nothing that can compare with knowing you. I'm so impressed by you. I'm so in awe of you. You, God, are worthy of my worship. 
You see, for Hannah, God was better than even her greatest desires. He was better than anything her greatest desires could ever bring her. She knew that he himself, he himself was the greatest thing she could ever have. And that's where I want to be. That's what I want to know, know. That's where I want to live and stay is believing in my heart so strongly that somehow it affects my life. And my life is reflected, the actions of my life are reflected with knowing and believing that God is better than anything. That nothing can compare to knowing him and having him. That God is worthy of my worship. So, right now we're going to wrap up. And we're going to take a few minutes to actually respond to God in all this. And maybe as you've been listening, you've been wondering if God really is worthy of all these things. Like maybe that's what Hannah saw, but maybe not so much to you. Maybe you're not sure if he's worthy, really, of your soul or your treasure or your worship. And this morning, the best way that I know how to tell you that God really, really is worthy of all these things is to point you to Jesus and the cross. It's there that not only do we see God as holy and righteous and the judge of all things, not only do we see his power over everything in the resurrection, but Jesus on the cross, that's where God shows you his passionate love for you. It's on full display. Hannah knew something of God's love through his law and his miracles, but we We have the greatest display of God's love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace right there on the cross. And if God, who is so mighty and so holy, is also so loving, then he is absolutely worthy of everything and anything that we could give him. So let's take some time right now to give God everything that he's worthy of. Can the worship team come up? So the worship team is going to come up. They're going to play a few songs. And right now you can do a few things with this time. I'm going to lead you through a couple of prompts. You can pray just personally on your own. You can pray with somebody around you. Or you can pray with some women in the back. Um, Or you can think and sing. (laughs) Um, But use this time to sort of process and respond to God about all these things that we learned from Hannah's life. So here's what I want you to think of. (coughs) Number one, are there parts of my soul that I'm keeping back from God? Am I as free as Hannah was in bringing all of myself to him? And if there's an area that you feel like you're holding back from God, I just want to encourage you right now just to ask God to open your eyes and deepen your faith to really see, to really believe he is worthy of your soul. (coughs) Number two, I want you to think about what treasures do I struggle to give back to God? Is it myself, my time, 
my relationship, something else? Am I as confident as Hannah was in giving God my treasure? And again, if you feel like the Lord's showing you something as we, as we respond, just ask him right there to open your eyes and deepen your faith to know, know how worthy he is to hold on to these things. And then finally, ask the Lord as you're sitting here, is there something that I'm believing is better than God? Maybe think about your actions. Sometimes how we live shows us what is the most important things to us. Ask yourself, do I see God like Hannah did as better than anything? (coughs) And if you sense God's spirit showing you something in this area, again, just ask him to open your eyes. Ask him to deepen your faith, to know, know, know more than ever before how worthy of your worship he really is. Okay? So the team's going to lead us, and I'm just releasing you to sort of respond to some of these things now. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.